0: Yo, yo! It's Dixie's baby. The podcast, episode number four. Adam Cole, baby, is all elite. Brian Danielson is all elite. What a stellar show by All Elite Wrestling last night. All Out 2021. It was fantastic. If you listened to me in episode three, when I said if you were a 90s wrestling fan that you needed to rent All Out and you would be hooked on wrestling again, my words were never more true because AEW All Out delivered in every single way. And it was capped off at the end of the night by Adam Cole making his AEW debut and joining the Elite. And then right after that, not only did we get one debut, we got two. Brian Danielson came out to make the save with Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, and Christian Cage to go up against the Elite. And honestly... Shots fired. Shots fired over the bow. For a few months now, I've been saying all along that AEW is competition for WWE. A lot of people didn't believe that. A lot of people said we still need to wait and see, but I guarantee you after tonight, as of September 5th, 2021, Everybody in the business will see AEW as direct competition for WWE. Just look at it. Look what's going on in WWE right now. On the raw side of things, you got Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg in the title picture for the main event. Okay, We got a 53-year-old Goldberg versus Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley has been brilliant. I'm not taking that away from him, but we just saw that match at SummerSlam. It was a snooze fest. We're gonna see that match again in a couple of months, and that's what's gonna draw us in. And then on the SmackDown side, we got Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns for the championship. We've seen that match three times already. I know it's different that Brock's a face and Roman's the heel, but we've seen that match three times already, where on the other side of things, AEW has fresh storylines. They got the faces of the business, the stars of the business, all ready to perform. You got Kenny Omega, who right now is the best wrestler in the world. I know CM Punk says he's the best in the world, and seven years ago, he was the best in the world. But for the past seven years, Kenny Omega has been the best wrestler in the world, and the elite... They are the most dominant faction in wrestling since the NWO. You got Kenny Omega, the best wrestler in the world. You got the Young Bucks, the best tag team in the world, even though they dropped the titles to the Lucha Bros last night. The Lucha Bros deserved those titles. The way they fought the Young Bucks over the past three years, year in and year out, with stellar matches. They had the ladder match last night, the Steel Cage match, which should be match of the year. Okay? At the end of 2021, that match has to be match of the year. It should get over five stars. If it doesn't get over five stars, else that has something wrong with his brain because they delivered. The Lucha Bros deserve those titles. Let them run with it a little bit. Hopefully the Young Bucks get it back. And now they got Adam Cole joining the Elite. So pretty much you got the best wrestler in the world, the best tag team in the world, and a top 10, top 5 wrestler. Honestly, I want to see Adam Cole. I know it will probably take a few months, but I want to see Adam Cole gain and win the TNT title. You got Omega as the world champion. Have the Bucks beat the Lucha Bros again to get their tag team titles back and just have a complete dominant faction holding all the titles because that's the best. You have plenty of fresh faces to challenge those guys. You got CM Punk now, you got Brian Danielson now, Darby Allen, Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus. You got plenty of guys, Christian Cage, plenty of fresh faces that can go up against these guys and you know try to. Break up the elite now. Brian Danielson signing is a big deal, he's been WWE's top star for the past you know five years. Okay, but I Adam Cole's signing is also a huge deal because he's only 32 years old. Adam Cole is going to be with this company for the next 10 years. We all knew he would come to AEW once his contract expires. His girlfriend's Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, the woman's champion. He's also best friends with the Bucks, Omega. He was a part of the elite. He was a part of the Bullet Club when it was so popular and the, they Hot topic, couldn't keep the uh, t shirts on the shelves, you know, years ago. So Adam Leet has been with these guys for years and years. He's their friends, and honestly, Adam Cole is bringing a lot to the table. And not to mention, he just spent four years over at WWE training under the tutelage of Shawn Michaels, one of the best workers in the game. So if Adam Cole was great before he left for WWE, he's leaving WWE even better, a more accomplished wrestler, more, you know, in the psychology game. Honestly, Adam Cole joining All Elite is huge and not to take anything away from Brian Danielson Brian Danielson joining WWE uh, AEW is huge as well but both of them debuting on the same night fantastic and that's not we haven't even mentioned that CM Punk just had his first match in 7 years against Darby Allin and CM Punk delivered it looked like he hasn't even missed a step over the past seven years. He put on a great match with Darby Allen. The only thing that I was a little weirded out by was he was wearing tights instead of the traditional gear that he wears, but whatever. He's a little bit older. He probably doesn't feel comfortable in his old gear, but CM Punk put on a great match. It was great storytelling. Him and Darby Allen did great things. They shook hands at the end with Sting coming out, but you know what? His first match is over with. He got that under his belt. Now, I want to see the edgy Punk, okay? I want to see the edgy Punk. I'm, I'm sure he's probably not, going to become a heel because you got the big heel faction with the elite, but I want to see what's next for Punk, but that was a great match, and honestly, All Out was the best wrestling pay-per-view this year, and honestly, probably the best wrestling pay-per-view in years. Like I can't think of another pay-per-view that matched this. You had the opening match between Miro and Eddie Kingston, hard-hitting. Miro retained the TNT title. He looks dominant. He's a dominant TNT champion. That was a great match to start off the show, and then after that, you had a great hard-hitting match between John Moxley and Satoshi Toshi Kojima. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know much about the New Japan pro wrestlers over there. I don't know much about the Japanese wrestlers, but this guy's 50 years old, and he put on a great match with Moxley. And the exciting thing about it was, I didn't know who this guy was when he came out, but Minoru Suzuki debuted, came out face-to-face with Moxley, and they went With each other, so they're going to face each other this week in Cincinnati at Dynamite. And honestly, it feels like they asked Moxley, "Who's who? Who do you want to feud with?" And he just said Japan because he has taken on all the Japanese wrestlers. He's taken on New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Tony Khan really is the Forbidden Door because honestly, it's great to see new talent. Well, not new talent, but new talent for U.S. eyes. You know, new talent from New Japan coming over. People that really haven't wrestled in the states on TV much. It's great to see these guys in action. And Moxley, you know, week in, week out, pay-per-view, dynamite, rampage, what have you, Moxley continues to put on great matches. Now, Britt Baker and Chris Statlander put on a great match. Um, I thought maybe they give Statlander the belt, but Britt Baker retained. That was a good match. And then the match of the night. It was perfectly placed, 9 o'clock, top of the hour, steel cage match, the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros. And a lot of people are probably going to be upset that the Young Bucks lost these titles. I know they're heels right now, but the Young Bucks act over the past year has been fantastic. I love it. I love how outlandish they are. I just love the way they're acting. But this match was amazing. The spots, uh, Ray Phoenix jumping off the steel cage, the thumbtacks in the shoe into the face of the Lucha Lucha Bros. It was an amazing match. And honestly, I'm happy for the Lucha Bros. I'm happy that the Lucha Bros got the titles because since AEW started, when they had the first press conference out in Vegas, when they were announcing the start of AEW, and when they announced the original pay-per-view double or nothing would happen in May 2019, the first matchup that came out was the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros. And we saw it at all out in 2019 when they had that great ladder match, the Escalera de la Muerte or whatever they called it. That was a great ladder match. So we've seen them go at it time and time again over the past two years. The feud finally stopped last night in a steel cage, and it was a five-star plus match. And honestly, I'm sure we're going to see more of these two Teams battling it out because the Young Bucks are the best tag team in the world and in AEW, but the Lucha Bros are not too far behind. They're definitely the second best tag team in AEW, and they're when these two teams match up. And when these two teams wrestle, it's electric. They have great chemistry and these matches are electric. And I'll be very interested to see what's going to happen with the Lucha Bros moving forward because we saw everything that's going on with Pac, the leader of the Death Triangle with the Lucha Bros and Andrade. I, What I want to see is I want to see the Lucha Bros team up with Andrade and they make a nice little stable over there with all the Mexican wrestlers because Like I said last episode, AEW is all about the factions and the stables. I'd like to see Andrade and the Lucha Bros team up. But Lucha Bros versus the Young Bucks, a great match. We got some crimson masks. We got some high spots, a lot of super kicks. There was one segment in the match where they were just super kicking each other for like a minute straight. Fantastic. Honestly, has to be a candidate for match of the year for 2021. And it should easily get over five stars from Dave Meltzer. After that match, it was hard to follow up that match, so they went with the Casino Battle Royal, and Ruby Soho, formerly known as Ruby Riot in WWE, made her debut for All Elite Wrestling. Another person defecting from WWE, and she got a standing ovation. The crowd was chanting her name, Ruby Soho, Ruby Soho, all night long, and it's just crazy to see. I never saw the crowd in WWE chant Ruby's name. She shows up 30 seconds into her first debut, the whole crowd is chanting her name. Ruby won. She'll be the next contender against Britt Baker for the AEW Women's Championship. I kind of wish that it was Dunderosa. She can really go. She's been with AEW for a while. So I like Dunderosa, but you know what? Give Soho the rub. She probably won't win the title for uh, against Britt Baker. And then maybe she'll have a nice feud with Dunderosa because she's the one that eliminated her. Uh, After that, we had the final fight, Chris Jericho versus MJ. A fight, a match that could headline any pay-per-view was, you know, the third main event match of the night. And this match was great. It wasn't the best match they had, but it was easily a four-star match. It was. They had a great false ending when MJF rolled up Jericho and he got his leg on the bottom rope. Before, uh, as Aubrey Edwards was counting to three, a ref came from the back, said, Jericho's leg was on the bottom rope. They restarted the match and Jericho got MJF in the walls of Jericho and made him tap out. So hopefully that feud will end. We've seen them wrestle, what, four or five times now. Um, So it was a great match. Again, you knew Jericho wasn't going to retire. He still has a lot left in the tank. I'm sure he won't wrestle as much because there's so many stars there, but he is such a talent on commentary, and he's such a great talent on the mic, so it's great to have Jericho still around. After that, we had the match. Mostly everybody was waiting for CM Punk versus Darby Allin, CM Punk's first match back in seven years. And Like I said before, it didn't disappoint. Great match all along, and you knew that CM Punk was probably gonna win this match. And honestly, CM Punk probably was like, damn, I probably should have picked a different opponent to have my comeback match against because Darby Allen pushed him to the test. You know, that suicide dive outside that crushed Punk. And Darby Allen, man, he just throws himself around the ring like a rag doll. He fears nothing. It was a great match. Coffin drops. Punk hit him with the go to sleep. Darby Allen reversed the go to sleep. It was something we haven't seen a lot of. Great match all around. I truly enjoyed this match. It kept me on the edge of my seat. And the last five minutes of this match was very, very fast, very exciting. CM Punk still has it after seven years. Then after that, you had Paul White versus QT Marshall. This was a filler match. okay, And it was put in this spot of the card because they said that it could go as long or as short as they needed uh, for time constraints. And That's all this match was. It was a filler match. You didn't want to put Omega and Christian Cage up after um, Darby Allin and CM Punk. But once that match ended, after a few minutes, we got the AEW World Championship match, Christian Cage versus Kenny Omega. And on a card that had CM Punk's first match back in seven years, Chris Jericho's potential retirement match, this match didn't get as much play heading into All or Out, But guess what? It delivered. Once again, it delivered. Kenny Omega once again put on a great match. And Christian Cage, man, he is probably the most underrated, underappreciated star in wrestling. Because no matter when he steps into a ring, he delivers. And he delivered last night against Kenny Omega. And honestly, for someone that's coming back from injury, when doctors told him he would never wrestle again, for him taking that one-winged angel off the top rope, the top turnbuckle... Took a lot of balls. But once again, Christian Cage delivers. And honestly, this was a great way to, you know, have Kenny Omega wrestle somebody and put on great matches before the big stars came in and would challenge him for the AEW World Championship. Christian Cage deserved the rub. He won the Impact Championship a few weeks ago. You know, he lost to Kenny Omega here. His first loss in AEW. But you know what? Christian Cage is a great addition to the roster and when he came out people were like oh it's only Christian Cage it's not the big signing like CM Punk or or Brian Danielson but you know what Christian Cage can still go he's underrated he's undervalued and honestly AEW is lucky to have Christian Cage on the roster so again another great match by Kenny Omega and Christian Cage that match finished the elite came out to the ring to celebrate and then boom what happens Kenny Omega gets on the mic. He says, all the people that can beat me are not with us, retired or dead. Then the lights turned out. You know, once he said dead and the lights turned out, it was going to be Adam Cole. Everybody thought that it was Brian Danielson, but it was Adam Cole because of that sequence they had in Being the Elite when they killed off Adam Cole and they said he was dead four or five years ago. Lights come out. Adam Cole comes out. Great new theme music. He hits the ring. Adam Cole, baby, the crowd goes nuts. He gets into the ring. You think, oh, wow, we're going to get Adam Cole versus Kenny Omega. Uh-uh, not yet. Super kicks Jungle Boy. He joins the elite. The Young Bucks give him a kiss. Kenny Omega goes to sign out and then boom. Brian Danielson storms the ring. He joins up with Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy, and Christian Cage to fight off the elite. And then after the show, Brian Danielson grabbed the mic. I saw it on Twitter. We didn't see it on the pay-per-view. He said that he's here to wrestle. He said that he's always been a wrestler. He's taken wrestling wherever he's been. He's got in trouble for saying wrestling at the other company, WWE, and he's here to wrestle. He's here to see. He said that he knows he's good. He knows he's a good wrestler. He wants to see how good these guys are. And he wants to push himself to the limit and test his abilities against these guys. And he said afterwards in the press conference that he thinks that Vince McMahon was a little bit overprotective of him, didn't want him to get hurt, whereas Tony Khan will let him test his limits and be able to see what he has. So Brian Danielson's All Elite Adam Cole's all elite and Adam Cole said after the show when they interviewed him, you know, nine since he's been 9 years old, all he wanted to do was be a wrestler for WWE. But when his contract expired, it was too good to be true. Deep down in his heart, he knew where he wanted to be, and that was at all Elite Wrestling. So September 5th, 2021, All Elite Wrestling changed the game. The shot was fired, and you got people all over the place talking about that the game is changed. Chris Jericho came out on Twitter and he said, tonight, the game is changed. Mick Foley came out and said, you have to give credit where it's due. AEW has assembled an incredible roster and no shortage of compelling storylines. Strong competition brings out the best in everyone. And you know what? We're going to see how WWE responds this week. They got Raw tonight NXT tomorrow night. NXT is getting a complete overhaul. They're changing the logo, they're changing the look of the Capitol Wrestling Center. Supposedly Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard are taking over NXT from Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Road Dogg. So it'll be very interesting to see how WWE delivers and responds to AEW because the the standard way of doing things isn't going to cut it. They need to get more creative. They need to get more exciting. And they need to give us more compelling storylines. And it starts at NXT because the NXT stars are the stars of the future. And every time an NXT star has been brought up to the main roster, they've completely shit the bed because the guy's With the main roster, Vince McMahon, Bruce Pitchett, they don't know how to book them. And they booked them like shit because I don't know if they're trying to get back to NXT because people in the wrestling world think NXT is better than the main roster. So I don't know. Maybe Vince McMahon taking over NXT will be a good thing. Personally, I don't think it will because Triple H has been doing a good job. But we shall see. It starts tonight, Monday Night Raw, I think it's in Miami, and it's going to be a very exciting end of the year with this battle going on between AEW and WWE, and I'm excited because September 22nd, I will be at AEW Dynamite at Arthur Ashe Stadium in Queens, and it's going to be a great show, so the pro wrestling world was changed last night for the better. It's the most exciting time to be a pro wrestling fan since the late 90s, and if you haven't watched, if you didn't rent All Out, I compel you, please tune into AEW Dynamite Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on TNT. Give it a shot. I promise you, you will be happy that you tuned in and it will deliver. All right, college football week one is in the books, and Digsy Picks went 3-3-1 this week. Not a bad way to start off the college football season. Uh, We started it out Thursday night. We won Boise State plus 7. We pushed Minnesota plus 14. Friday night, we had the over in UNC VATEC that Totally didn't deliver. Uh, 27 points scored. We had over 63. We missed that by a bunch. And then on Saturday, we had four picks Western Michigan plus 17. We lost that against Michigan. Michigan killed. Western Michigan, 47-14. I was completely wrong against about Michigan. I thought that they were going to continue their bad play that they've been playing the past few years, but I didn't think Cade McNamara was going to be a good quarterback, but he completely Totally showed me because he had a great game. Nine for 11, 136 yards, two touchdowns. He didn't play a lot, but hey, that's all they needed. So Cade McNamara and the Michigan Wolverines start the season 1-0. and oh. The rest of the games on Saturday, we had Kansas State minus three. They easily beat Stanford 24-7. We had Alabama minus 19 against Miami. They easily beat beat the Hurricanes 44-13. to And Bama rolled again. You know, they destroyed Miami. Bryce Young, in his first start, looked like he was a senior. 344 yards, four touchdowns. And once again, Bama has a star quarterback. Jalen Hurts, Tua, Mac Jones, now Bryce Young, and honestly, they're the favorites to win it all. Bama is a step ahead of everybody else, and I don't see anybody beating Bama, especially the one team that you thought might be able to, Clemson. I had them Clemson minus three Saturday night against Georgia, and Clemson completely laid a dud. Their new quarterback, DJ Weiga Alele, couldn't even get anything going. He was 19 for 37, 178 yards, one interception. He looked lost out there Saturday night. He was overthrowing his receivers. He was throwing the ball too quick before his receivers were able to get out of the break. And he wasn't in rhythm with his receivers. And honestly, if, if that's how he's going to play, Clemson is going to have a long, long season. And honestly, it's very simple safe to say that Clemson might be done uh, with their chances of making the college football playoff. I know it's only week one, but they're not playing because UNC lost and I believe somebody else lost. They're not playing another ranked opponent for the rest of the season. So all they'll have left is hopefully a ranked opponent will get in the ACC championship game. You know, Florida State maybe, but we saw them lose to Notre Dame last night in a close game. So you know, Clemson has a tough journey ahead of them this season. And, you know, they've made the college football playoff pretty much every single year. I think they did make it every single year, uh, won a couple national championships. But now it looks like that they might be on the outside looking in because the team they play, Georgia, Georgia's defense looked spectacular Saturday night. They didn't give uh Weiga Alele any time. They shut Clemson down, and I think Georgia looks like right now I would say Georgia is the second best team in college football. I'd say Bama number one, Georgia number two. Um looking elsewhere, Oklahoma was a big favorite coming into this year. Uh they got to run for their money for Tulane. Uh, they won 40-35. Uh, Spencer Rattler said it was the hardest hitting team he's ever played. Oklahoma led 37-14 at halftime. Tulane came out in the fourth quarter after being down 40-22. to 22. They scored two unanswered touchdowns to make it 40-35. But then on fourth and 13, Tulane's quarterback, Michael Pratt, scrambled for 12 yards. He missed the first down by a single yard, and Oklahoma won the game. But Oklahoma was favored by 32 points heading into this game. They only beat Tulane by five points. So, hey, you're over there in Sooner land. You have to be scratching your head and, and be, being worried right now in Norman, Oklahoma, because you know what? Oklahoma didn't look like the national championship co-favorites that they were headed into the season. Uh, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia. Oklahoma, right now, they're they're definitely behind Alabama and Georgia. I have them probably on the outside looking, and they might be in the fourth spot, I would say right now my top four would be Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. Ohio State's defense didn't look too good, but their offense rolled. So I would say Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and I guess I would have Oklahoma fourth, you know, looking around Penn State beat Wisconsin uh, in a Big Ten defensive battle. I I, I wouldn't Put them up there quite yet. Uh, Iowa destroyed Indiana. Indiana's great season two years ago looks like it was a fluke right now. Uh, Notre Dame versus Florida State. Honestly, I wouldn't put Notre Dame fourth because Florida State gave them a run for their money. Uh, it was an emotional game for Florida State. You know, the first game playing after uh, Bobby Bowden's passing. Uh, you saw what that young kid. Milton, the QB did. It was a great story. Um, And after the game, Brian Kelly wasn't happy because he said that he wanted to execute his players. So, you know, obviously, if you ask Brian Kelly right now, should they be in the fourth spot, he would probably say no. And uh, yeah, Texas, the newest future members of the SEC, they. Rolled against University of Louisiana, Lafayette. And uh, yeah, that that's pretty much you know, college football week one. There wasn't too many crazy upsets. Like I said, Tulane almost beat Oklahoma, but sitting here right now on Labor Day, I would say it's Alabama, number one, and uh, Georgia are far second. Ohio State and Oklahoma, maybe Notre Dame, but it'll be very interesting to see what teams get up there and give Alabama a run for their money. Because as of right now, I would say, as of of right now, I would say Alabama has a nice, easy walk into the college football championship game, and Ohio State better get that defense going. They better get that defense figured out if they want to have a chance to beat Alabama and win the national title. Georgia has the defense, but can Georgia's offense compete with Alabama right now? I need to see more because they only put up 10 against Clemson. I know Clemson has a good defense, but they only put 10 up against them. So right now, Alabama is in a league of his own. Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, they're fighting for second. Okay, now we're a couple days away from NFL season kicking off. Oh man, I'm so excited for this season. Last year, it didn't really feel, even college football, last year didn't feel like football season because of all the COVID issues and no fans in the stands most of the stadiums. It just didn't feel like football season last year, but it's going to be a great year this year. We get an extra game, an extra week, and there's really not too much to speak about in regards to the NFL world because preseason ended last week. So I'm going to give you my predictions what I think is going to happen for the NFL season this year. We'll start out in the AFC. I think the Bills will win the AFC East. The Chiefs will easily win the AFC West. I got the Browns. They're they're the second favorite to win the AFC North behind the Ravens. I got the Browns winning the AFC North. AFC South will be the Titans, and the three wildcard teams are going to be the Ravens, the Steelers, and the Dolphins. Now, I was tempted to put the Patriots there, but Mac Jones is a rookie quarterback. You still don't know what you're going to get with him. I'd rather go with the Dolphins and Tua. is a second-year starter. He has more experience under his belt, and I think Ravens, Steelers, Browns, I think all those three teams from the AFC North will make the playoffs, and it will be a very tight division race, and it should come down to the last few weeks of the season season. Now, over in the NFC, I'm taking the Giants to win the NFC East. I know I'm a Giants fan. I know I'm a little biased, but you know what? I don't feel comfortable with the Cowboys right now, okay? Because Dax is injury prone. They just lost Zach Martin, their right guard. uh, He's on the COVID list. He's going to miss week one. You don't know what you're going to get from Zeke. Uh, The defense, Dan Quinn, you know, we saw what he did in the Super Bowl when he let the Pats come back. He wasn't a great head coach with the Falcons, so I'm going with the Giants. Now, I was tempted to take Washington, but you know what? Ryan Fitzpatrick, if Daniel Jones is on his A game, Daniel Jones is 10 times better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I'm going with the Giants in the NFC East, NFC North, easy Packers. Uh, NFC South, we're going with the defending champions, the Bucs, the NFC West, A lot of good teams, 49ers, Rams, Seahawks. I think the Rams win the division. I think Matthew Stafford is a big upgrade over Jared Goff. I think Stafford is going to take this team to the next level. They already have a great defense. The best defensive player in the game, Aaron Donald. Uh, They just got Sonny Michelle from... The Patriots, I know they lost Cam Akers, but Sonny Michelle, man, he's a great running back. I think he'll do great things with Los Angeles. So I'm taking the Rams to win the NFC West. And for my wildcard teams, I'm taking Washington. I'm taking the 49ers, and I will put the Cowboys on there because you know what? If they are healthy, if Dak is okay, I think the Cowboys will make the playoffs. So I don't think they'll win the division. I'm taking the Giants for that. But once again, my two wildcard teams and the NFC East win of the Giants. We got three NFC East teams in the playoffs in the NFC this year. Last year, the NFC East was the laughing stock of the league. Washington won with the record under 500, but this year they'll be highly improved. And I think the Giants, Washington football team, and the Cowboys all make the playoffs. Now, I got the Rams playing the Bucs in the NFC Championship game. I got the Rams beating the Bucs. I think their defense will stifle Tom Brady. And it's very hard to go back to back in this league. So I got the Rams beating the Bucks in the NFC Championship game. And over on the AFC side, I got the Chiefs beating the Bills. And I got the Chiefs beating the Rams in the Super Bowl. Now, in regards to MVP, I think Josh Allen will win the MVP of the league. So there you have it. Digsy's predictions for the 2021-22 NFL season. We are three days away, and I can't wait. There it goes. All right. The tide has turned in New York City baseball because last time we spoke, the Mets were a dumpster fire. The Yankees were rolling, but the roles have been reversed. The Yankees have lost three in a row. They lost two to Baltimore. They lost earlier today to Toronto. They're three and seven over the last 10. They're eight games back of the division. So the division's gone right now. Honestly, you can't think about the division. They're tied with Boston for the number one wildcard spot. And Seattle is three games back of both New York and Boston. And one thing that really intrigued me was the loss they had to the Orioles over the weekend. It was the Yankees' fifth loss after leading by three or more runs in the seventh inning. So what does that tell you? The bullpen. I told you last week, the bullpen scares me. The bullpen worries me. And look what happened since episode three of the podcast. Episode three, I said, the bullpen worries me. Here we are in episode four. The bullpen has screwed us and it lost us games this week. And another big blow to the bullpen, Jonathan Lewizica is on the 10-day IL. So now we lost Britain. We lost Lewizica to the IL. Britain won't be coming back. Hopefully, Lewizica's injury won't be as long. He'll be able to be back for the playoff push. And the playoffs, but things are a little shaky right now over in the Bronx. You know, last week we were talking about everything was looking all, well, you know, uh, fairy tales and, you know, birds singing, chirping, beautiful songs, but now it's a little scary in the Bronx. As we head towards the fall, it's a little scary in the Bronx and that bullpen is very, very shaky. We need that bullpen to step up. Hey, right now, Chapman, man, you need to figure it out. Chad Green, you need to figure it out. Wandi Peralta, we need more for you. So the Yankees are in a tough spot right now, losing three of their last seven. And hey, this weekend coming up, Yankees-Mets subway series. It's going to be a huge series for both teams because the Mets, they've won seven out of their last nine. Now, they just blew a lead to the Nationals today. So I was getting ready to praise the Mets and say, hey, you guys turned it around, but they did just blow a lead to the Nationals. So it's still a little same old Mets. So they're four back now in the division, 4.5 back in the wild card spot. And honestly, the Mets, I, told, I said last week that it would take a miracle for the Mets to make the playoffs. I guess I was wrong because the Mets are very, very much in the hunt for a playoff spot. Now, Steve Cohen is still on Twitter yapping around. He said the other day, where are the Twitter experts complaining about buyers now? They must be away for the weekend. He tweeted that. After he had the 4-for-4 four four game and he helped the Mets win 13-6. to six. But you know what? Why can't you just let it be, Cohen? You know? Like, why can't you let it be? But Baez came back today. He went 2-for-4. So you know what? Last week I said, Baez, Lindor, you guys need to step up. You need to win. You need to play better baseball if you want to put the thumbs down bong behind you. And both of them have done that. Lindor was 2-for-5 today. The Mets exploded for 13 runs yesterday. So right now... In New York City, we got two teams right in the thick of the playoff push. We thought there would only be one, the Yankees, but we got two. Mets are four game back of the division. They're four and a half back in the wild card. If I'm the Mets, I'm thinking about the division. I'm thinking about those last three games of the season against the Braves. Get it to two, get it to one, and then go take care of the Braves the last three games of the season. The Yankees got the raise the last three games of the season, but eight games is a lot to make up when we only have, what, 25 days left? You know, 23-24 games. So it's going to be a very, very exciting September for the Mets, for the Yankees. And this weekend series, when last week it looked like it really wouldn't mean anything for the Mets. The Subway series this weekend is going to be huge for both teams. It could potentially make or break the team's playoff chances. So a very exciting September for New York City Baseball. And we're going to keep you covered with it all September and October long. Alright, the last thing I want to get to before we wrap it up this week, Nice short podcast this week because it's Labor Day and starting next week with the NFL week one. These podcasts are gonna be jam-packed. So we're we'll keeping it nice and short for you this week. Uh, Patrick Cantlay won the tour championship and the season-long FedEx championship yesterday at East Lake, edging out John Rahm and a late push by Justin Thomas. But what I want to get to is the Ryder Cup, okay? Because the Ryder Cup is, is what is important right now uh, for the state of USA golf. We see Europe beating Team USA at the Solheim Cup right now, so it looks like Europe's going to win that, but in regards to the Ryder Cup, we saw what happened on Saturday. Brooks Kepka got an injury. He hit a root in the rough. Should have Kept the ball in the fairway, you're not going hit to hit a root in the rough. But Brooks Kepka has a wrist injury, so his status for the Ryder Cup is up in the air. We saw Patrick Reed. He played well over the weekend, but he's recovering from double pneumonia. So who knows what we're going to get from Reed. Colin Morikawa, since he won the Open Championship, he hasn't played well. So right now, USA is trending in the wrong way. Okay, Steve Stricker has a very important six picks to make in two days on September eighth when he picks his Ryder Cup picks, and it might have to be seven picks because Brooks might not be able to play in the Ryder Cup. So, on the good side, if Brooks doesn't play, then not the Team USA won't get those questions of the Brooks Bryson feud, how they're going to get along in the locker room what's the feeling in the locker room right now what what is the morale we're not going to get that so that might be a positive but brooks kepka is an assassin he's one of the best golfers in the world he's an asset for team USA so not having kepka Ke- on the team is going to hurt us on the golf course and in, in the locker room it might help but on the golf course it's going to hurt and honestly if kepka isn't 100% even 90% i don't want him on the team we could bring somebody else in that's 100% that you know what happens if kepka is 80%. He starts the Ryder Cup. He re-injures his wrist in day one. And now you're playing with 11 players. Okay? And you're going to have to forfeit the match on single Sunday if Kepka can't go. So, we can't have that. So, Brooks, if you're not 100%, stay home. Now, In the captain picks, like I said last week, I want Finau, Spieth, Schauffele, Kisner, Berger. We saw Phil Mickelson has pretty much taken himself out of contention. He's a vice captain along with Fred Couples and Zach Johnson. So we don't have to worry about Phil asking to be on the team or do we? We don't know. You never know what you're going to get with Phil. But as we sit here right now, September 6th, Labor Day, I'm worried for Team USA's chances at the Ryder Cup. We already have a lot of pressure on our back because Europe kicks our asses all the time in the Ryder Cup, but we are defending our home turf. We won in 2016. I was at that Ryder Cup. Last time it was played on U.S. soil, we won. Three years ago in France, we got our asses kicked. So we got pressure on our back. Steve Stricker... He has a lot of pressure with these captain picks. You know he's going to be scrutinized. You know people are going to be questioning them. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens this week on September 8th. And if he could bring this team together, get a cohesive unit, and what's going to happen with Brooks Kepka and Patrick Reed. So that's something to keep an eye on. And let's hope everybody's healthy and we're able to put our best squad on the golf course. And we beat Europe at Whistling Straits at the end of the month. All right, everybody, that does it for Yo-Yo, It's Digsy's Baby, the podcast episode number four. Make sure to listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and we will see you next week recapping the first week of the NFL season. And also to all the people who are listening but aren't following the social media, we are posting videos on the football days with our picks, Diggsies picks for football all season long. So make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok so you can get our free picks all football season long. So we'll see you next week. Yo, yo, it's Dixie's baby.